Hello listeners and welcome back to the Plus Dave podcast. We are the Tottenham Hotspur theme show that's brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. With me, your host Dags and our usual team of Elio Sox and Dave returning for a pretty standard episode. The last couple have been a little bit different. So there's no FPL gimmicks this week, no special guests. It's just the four of us as usual talking about preseason, talking about the season coming up. And if you've missed us, it's been a couple of weeks. Thanks in no small part to Spurs arranging a friendly in the middle of a monsoon so we had to push this recording back a little bit but fear not because Spurs have given us plenty of nonsense and drama to discuss so we're going to be looking at the preseason so far of course and all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes as there so often is at Spurs that being said if you would like to join our FPL mini league aka the plus Dave super league please do please as many of you join as possible and someone try and knock that smug pricey off his perch as champion the code for that is 4GRD8 O, that's O not zero, 4GRD8O. And also on that note, if you do want to listen to our last real episode, which was our preseason summer transfer special with John McKenzie from TFO Football, go and give it a listen. We're all really proud of that one. Really good episode talking about Ange Postacoglu's tactics and a bit of a preseason breakdown of the window and how we might shape up next year. And speaking of how we might shape up this year, lots of drama to talk about. Joe Lewis is the wolf of Wall Street, but it's okay because Jay-Z is going to buy us and he's going to sign us Mbappe. So um, here's to talk about all of that with me is Socks, Elio and Dave. Dave, I'm going to come to you first because I feel like I never come to you first. So I'm going to switch things up a bit with the new season. As an outsider, Spurs entertaining you? Is the circus enough to keep you engaged in pre-season as a non-Spurs fan? Um, not really, no. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm trying to keep it all at an arm's length. There's a fascinating Ashes cricket going on. There's the Women's World Cup, which I'm trying yeah. to keep abreast of. There's plenty of other sports, so I don't have to delve into the Twitter yeah. depths to find out which defender might be signing a contract extension and he's 12 years old and there's a hot prospect and here we go. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm keeping it at an arm's length, but I have done a little bit of homework and I have watched the highlights of your last friendly so I am in a half decent position and to be honest so you know Leeds season starts in a week so I'm there you go I'm, I'm ready to get back into yeah. it yeah oh Dave I'm touched that you went as far as even watching pre-season highlights that's real dedication by your standards I mean I'm, I'm impressed when you watch our actual Premier League games to be fair so I'll take it take everything I can get Elio I take it you're um, slightly more engaged than Dave you've watched both our pre-season games how do you feel about pre-season so far how are we looking I mean, in terms of the matches, I pay very little attention to results, who's scoring what goals. It's it's sort of a non-event for me. It's more about seeing how we're gearing up to play. And we are gearing up to play well. We're playing good football, good, exciting football, regardless which players are in which positions. So far, it's been pleasing to see how many players do seem quite comfortable with moving the ball quickly, passing between the lines and hitting teams hard and fast, given that most of them have been used to such a ponderous style over the last few regimes at this football club. So it's been nice to see. There's been some very kind of pleasant viewing from the likes of Udogi, Papimata someone that I've really mm. been impressed with so far and has actually changed my mind about whether he needs to go on loan somewhere or whether he could make a meaningful contribution to us. Poro, a little bit shaky in one direction, very pleasing in the other direction, which we kind of expect. The unsung surprise hero, well, maybe not unsung, actually. I think a lot of people are quite happy with what they've seen, is Giovanni Lo Celso. Mm. Whether this is just going to attract a good bid for him or he's actually going to be part of our plans next season, who knows? But 
right now he looks like a good fit and I was very happy to see a lot of high risk passes into forward areas from James Madison when he played the other day so so yeah, yeah shaping up nicely in that respect Kulisevsky got better in the second game than he was in the first game Kane and Son look rusty they always do in preseason, so I don't really care but we still can't defend and uh, I imagine that's probably going to be the main thing we talk about on this episode. I imagine so, yeah. You've you definitely covered off a few agenda points there. Certainly a couple of players in particular I wanted to focus on. So we'll, we'll come back to a couple of those. Sox, you finished last season in a despairing place, fearing a slow grind towards relegation. You turned it around a little bit in the weeks that followed. You were feeling a little bit more positive. How are you feeling right now about Spurs? Uh, I've not dug myself out of the pit of despair completely. I think with each passing <laughs> week, the closer we get to the season without having signed a centre-back my early yeah. Ange era optimism is eroding ever so slightly so I'm mm. somewhere in the middle I'm not I mean I'm looking forward to the start of the season but at the same time like I say with each passing week I'd be lying if I said there weren't a few concerns at the back of my mind with regards to defenders with regards to Kane with regards to how we will potentially spend the Kane money and various other bits and pieces so all a bit up in the air at the moment, I think. Well, that's the way to look at it, isn't it? There's two ways to look at it. We can say, yes, we're showing some promising signs in pre-season. We're playing some nice football. We're doing what we were hoping we're going to do. Obviously, still a few things to iron out. Or you can think, okay, we've only had a couple of games. I've only got a couple more. We don't really know how to play this football yet. We may not have Kane and we may not have our centre-back. So it's it's really hard to know how to feel going into, into the new season. But I guess we can talk about what we have seen. First of all, though, I know it's tired. I know it's everything we're seeing on Twitter and it's just constantly going on in the media but we have to talk about Harry Kane and Bayern Munich just because it's looking more and more likely I think at least the impression I'm getting from various sources of varying quality is that there are talks happening there's definitely something going on Elio what's your understanding of the latest in the Kane saga besides very strange German journalists showing up to press conferences with Harry Kane Bayern Munich shirts falling flat on his face I mean, first of all, what a f***ing bellend. <laughs> Seriously, he, he Weirdest thing ever. Bild, who are basically German, the Sutton, as far as I'm aware. Right. Funding one of their non-top journalists as well. It wasn't even someone recognisable. It was someone I'd never heard of. To fly, what, good 10-hour flight-ish? to show Postacoglu a Bayern Munich shirt with Kane 9 on it. I mean, that might be the most pathetic thing any football club has ever done in the history of football clubs doing <laughs> pathetic things with the exception of maybe Kenny Dalglish's we support Luis Suarez t-shirts one upon a time oh, that yeah. it was bloody ridiculous in terms of the actual latest in the saga Bayern clearly wants him I'm mm. obviously Kane is open to it especially now that we've had a few snippets coming out on this side of the channel um, sort of describing his openness to the move that seems probably leaked by his brother given that we, mm. we know Charlie Kane's the master handler of all things football media related but <laughs> if Bayern think they're getting Harry Kane for anything other than an extortionate price for a player who's 30 years old has one year on his contract but is also in the top three strikers on the planet then they're deluded because the pressure is just as much on them as it is on us because ultimately, if they don't get him this summer, they're never getting him because when he's available for a free, it'll either be a Premier League club where he can break Shearer's record while winning trophies, Manchester City, obviously, or it will be over to Real Madrid because Real Madrid's are Real Madrid. It won't mm -hmm. be Bayern Munich, that's for sure. So if, if they want him, it has to be this summer. So I'm really not phased by the pressure we're being put under because 
I realistically can't see in a summer where Rasmus Holland has gone to Manchester United off the back yeah, of nine Serie A goals for 70 million, I think it 70. was. Um, yeah. In a summer where Mason Mount with, all right, a year plus extension, but still a year plus extension left on his deal has gone to Manchester United for 60 million off the back of an absolutely horrendous season. Harry Kane's not leaving for any less than a pre-add-ons fee of 90 million, in my opinion. I I just Mm. don't see it. Because then you think, okay, what's worth more to us? One year of Harry Kane or being able to invest that into the next sort of up-and-coming striker who may or may not be a success and have them for five years. Well, we know sometimes that we spend a lot of money on an up-and-coming player and give them a big, long contract. It ends up biting us in the arse. Um, mm. Tongi Ondombele, Lo Celso, Giovanni Dos Santos once upon a time. So many examples like this. So there's no guarantees with the money we get for Harry Kane. There is a guarantee if Harry Kane remains at the club that we will have a better season next season, our new manager's first season, than not... That that is a guarantee because anybody yeah. brought in to fill in for Harry Kane is a downgrade. And I know a lot of people will say, well, Postacoglu's system doesn't rely on individuals, it relies on the greater good. It's still a guaranteed twenty league goals a season and in a side yeah. as attacking as we're looking to be, I think he could have Erling Haaland levels of outputs. He almost did last <laughs> season without having an attacking side around him. So so I, I just don't see it. I think unless we break the hundred million mark, including add-ons, and the bulk of that being before add-ons, Harry Kane's wearing a Spur shirt against Brentford. For what it's worth, for a bit of context, we did a couple of polls on Twitter asking people, first of all, would you rather sell Kane now for, and I think we said for around 80 million-ish, which was Mm. the the numbers being generally floated around, or keep him for another year and lose him on a free? And it was an exact 50-50 split. So that's quite interesting. I guess the question I'd always answer and ask myself in this situation is, why do I watch football for the balance sheets or for the memories? One year of Harry Kane will still give me more than, well, let's put it into context. Last summer, we spent a sizable chunk, all right, not 80 million, but 50 million plus 10 million in add-ons on a Premier League proven coming into his prime, Richarlison, who had scored a decent amount of goals, double figures on average a season for a worse club than us. So the theory being he should be able to come into our environment and do well. Look what he did in that first year. Now, I'm not writing off Richarlison. No. I, I think he could be a very good player for us still. But one year of Harry Kane versus five of Richarlison, the one year of Harry Kane is always going to win. And for an amount of money that will be almost insignificant on the balance sheet in the greater scheme of things, I just don't see Harry Kane leaving unless Daniel Levy feels he has won the negotiation, which, as we know, is a priority of Daniel Levy's. Yeah. I disagree with some of that. I'm actually fully in on the he has to go now. I think there is absolutely zero case for keeping him. And there are multiple reasons for that. Mm. The first being the obvious financial one. I don't need to outlay why getting 80, 90 million quid now is better than getting zero pounds next year. Uh, that's that obvious and that speaks for itself. The, the- I think you do though, because that 80, 90 million quid now will all be spent on replacements for Harry Kane. So unless you can guarantee that 
at mm. least some of the players that money is used on will give us a better situation than one year's worth of Harry Kane, then you do have to justify no, it. This million won't replace Harry Kane, though, will it? Realistically, we need 200 million to buy a couple of players to do no, what Harry Kane does. When, we need 200 you, million. When you lose these players, look, we, in my opinion, we haven't replaced Michael Carrick and he left in 2006. The next best player we had on the left side since <laughs> David Ginola. Um, that's, that's not even a, in terms of that type of profile. Uh, David Ginola to Hung Min Son, who was the player in between that that was as good of a player. There are certain players that you don't replace. I've seen Liverpool, the best Liverpool team of my generation, and it was after Steven Gerrard. Arsenal may win the league this season, and very few of their players will get into the team that they had that last won the league because there's no Ashley Cole, there's no Thierry Henry. Even Declan Rice, who they just mm. spent 150 million quid on, isn't as good as Patrick Vieira for anybody who managed to watch that guy. I don't want to sit here and yeah. praise Arsenal, but it's not, you don't replace these players one to one, you replace them. The bail replacement wasn't the crap signings that we made. It was a year later with Pochettino. You replace him with a system, and the game replacement is Postacoglu. The reality of that 80, 90 million, whatever it is we get, goes on two centre backs and then a backup striker or a more versatile forward that can play across the front three with Richarlison being the central number nine. And you have a team that's more than the sum of its parts. That's probably the most likely thing, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know. We could speculate because you could say, oh, we'll just spend all the money on someone like Colin Mouani. And obviously, whoever we're going to sign isn't as good, but. That's kind of how it goes. I mm. mean, between between Jimmy Greaves and Harry Kane, who was the forward who was as good, it wasn't there. But does that mean we didn't have Dimitar Berbatov or Defoe or Robbie Keane or Sheringham or yeah. Kinsman or any players that you would look at and go, well, none of them were as good as Kane, but they were good. But my arguments for getting rid of Kane aren't even the financial ones. Like I said, personally, I do think it speaks for itself. I want to address one point before you go on to the next bit, just so it doesn't get lost. You talk about between Jimmy Greaves and Harry Kane, who was the player that good. Between Jimmy Greaves and Harry Kane, we lived in a world where there were always bucket loads of good strikers around. I mean, England at one point, just England, who have not been a great football nation for about the same amount of time that we have not been a great football team. England, Mm. at one time in the 90s, had Teddy Sheringham, Alan Shearer, Andy Cole, Les Ferdinand, Robbie Fowler, Michael Owen, and even people like Stan Collymore getting absolutely nowhere near that even bloody Tony Cotty was a top quality striker. And I think he had one England cap in total or something like that. So right now we're in a world where good strikers are almost impossible to find, never mind great strikers. So mm. I, I don't think the argument of what's the person in between all these guys stands up because ultimately, yes, going from Harry Kane to Richarlison is something we're probably going to have to accept with a backup number nine coming in. But you still haven't said why... And maybe this is the next bit of your arguments, which I've rudely interrupted, for which I apologize. <laughs> maybe this is why Maybe this is why one year of Harry Kane is still worth its weight in gold compared to anything else we can do. Because the money brought in for Harry Kane shouldn't be needed for that rejuvenation. We are one of the most profitable, as you often say, when you want to beat Enoch with a stick. We are one of the most profitable clubs in the planet. We are hosting all these... We've just had the Beyonce thing, for instance, over this weekend. We've, we've got... All, the rugby, we've got the American football, we've got this extortionate ticket prices for our members, which we know is still going to leave us with 58, 62,000 every game. We've got the price of in the same. There is so much revenue coming into the club that I don't for a second believe Harry Kane money is what's required to get those two centre-backs. So I guess the question I'd like to ask yourself by the end of your argument is, what would you rather, those two centre-backs and the Postacoglu system no Harry Kane and Richarlison being the fill-in, or Harry Kane, but just one of those centre-backs. Okay, two points. So the first one is, 
The operative word is good. There are when you say there aren't many there aren't many great strikers, I agree with you there. There's a reason that there's a player that who's 30 years old is potentially going for a hundred million pounds or euros because there is a premium. But in terms of good strikers, Ivan Tony is a perfectly good striker. Ollie Watkins is a perfectly good striker. I've seen players play for worse clubs than Tottenham. Even Richarlison was hitting close to 15 goals. Forget last season. Last season was a blip. He was in a crap team managed by a crap manager and was played out of position most of the time. He did play on the right wing. The only position on the front three he can't bloody play is where he played most of his games for us so even Richarlison was getting 15 goals in an Everton side that was a threat of going under relegation they would not surprise me if that guy was hitting 15 to 20 next season so there's a premium on world-class strikers on great strikers on 25 to 30 but on 15 to 20 less so and you can still have a team that is more than the sum of its parts because I've seen Man City win the league without a centre forward and I've seen Arsenal challenge for the league without a competent centre forward either so it's less of a necessity if you have a team that's more than the sum of its parts. On the centre-back bit, my point wasn't bringing in two centre-backs. I think it's the profile of the centre-backs because there's a big difference between mm. being able to afford a Van der Ven and a Tosin for 45 million combined and a Van der Ven and a Tapsoba for 80 million combined. And maybe that is where you do need a bit of it. I don't know the club's finances inside out, so I can't tell you how much we made for Beyonce. So I don't exactly know how much of the revenue is going in, well, X direction. We do know it's all her fault, though. We do know it's all her fault. And in Z direction, I do know that we have bumped up the wage bill massively in the last five years. So we're spending now roughly an extra 50 million a year every year just on the wage bill compared to where we were a few years ago. So I think a lot of the times where, you know me, I'm, I've been I've been leaving out before it was cool. I've been leaving out before the yellow and purple brigade, <laughs> the UKIP lot appeared on Twitter. I've been leaving yeah. out probably since the January of 2012 when we were three points off the top of the league and we signed Nelson and Sahar and then Ryan Nelson. And then, wasted 18 months trying to rip the heart and soul out of the club to East London. So I'm not going to give Levy the benefit of the doubt. But that's mm. kind of my, my case on it. It's not bringing in two centre-backs. It's the profile of the centre-backs because you can bring in two centre-backs and they're both Joe Roden. For me, it's not even the financial aspect of it. There are way more reasons. The biggest one is, like, I take your point completely on one more year of Kane as a fan, the emotions, like... Football is all about emotion. It's all about what these memories mean. And even if he hasn't won a trophy with us, that doesn't mean it's all been a waste of time. You get a lot of great moments and a lot of great memories. But mm-hmm. I also think it's quite a short-term way of thinking for a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. Number one is that he had arguably his best ever season for us in terms of numbers last year, and it was a complete and utter misery. We hated every single second of it. So just because Harry, <laughs> yeah. just because Harry Kane hit 30, I don't think any of us walking away and going, well, the rest of the team was absolutely crap, but I celebrated those Kane goals. I didn't celebrate the Kane goal in the game that we lost 6-1, and that was as much Mm. of a one as any of the others contributing to his 30. But the second point is that I think it's quite a short-term point of view because you're not enjoying him for one season. You're enjoying him for one season and then you're seeing him probably play for another English club for another three or four. If we, if we yeah. give Gary Kane the choice 12 months from now, there's, none of us can say, so all of this is speculation, but I think it's fair to say that there's more of a chance he's staying in England and playing for City, Liverpool, Man United than he is going to Barcelona or, Chelsea. Munich, or Chelsea or even Real Madrid. Yeah. So you're saying, let's imagine, let's say best case scenario next season, everything is going great guns under Postecoglou. Harry Kane scored 20 to 25 goals. He fires us into the Champions League again, but he doesn't want to stay because he doesn't care about Champions League football anymore. He wants a trophy. And then Man United signing mm. him. You then have to suffer three or four years. It's, it's difficult to quantify emotion, but if we're quantifying the emotion of Kane being good in a good team next year, mm. we need to find a way to quantify the subsequent three okay, or four but years. it's not just the emotion. In Man United, Liverpool, etc. 
breaking the record with them. And let's be honest, if there's one club he's scoring the goal where he's going to break the record against, we all know who it is and we all know where it's going to happen. Let's not pretend (laughs) in our heart of hearts we don't know exactly what's going down. You're going to have to see him lift the Premier League or the FA Cup with another club. I don't give a shit if it's in Germany with the British Liga. That means don't interrupt me, Elio. I'm not bloody finished. Don't interrupt me. I have more. I wrote down notes. I came prepared. I knew this was coming. Let me finish my diet try, god damn it. <laughs> On top of that, how's that popcorn tasting good? <laughs> that three or four years is going to come afterwards. It's going to be a nightmare and you're going to have to deal with it every bloody week. And on top of that, think of what's going to happen this season. We had Postacoglu within his first press conference within about seven to ten days when he gave his next press conference we were in pre-season. He went from saying the Kane situation didn't affect him to actually it's getting a bit annoying now and I'd like it resolved. It's already Mm. having an impact. This isn't a guy that's mincing his words. We know he's honest. Imagine ourselves. Do you think there is going to be a single week that goes by this season where it's not mentioned by Sky, by TNT, as it's now called, by Match of the Day? You are going to have to tune in on Super Sunday if he's still here against Brentford Mm. with a few weeks left of the season of of the transfer window. And you're going to have to hear Jamie Redknapp, who none of us want to hear at the best of times, go off on about how he's heard, oh, well, I've heard Pochettino is already talking to him and he's building building that house in Surrey near the Wentworth golf course and he's going to try get him next summer and you're going to have to hear every single week Gary Neville talk about trying to ship him to Man United Jamie Carragher do the same for Liverpool Postacoglu is going to be asked about it in every single press conference mm. Kane every time he wins a matter of the match award James Madison it's going to get fucking annoying it's already fucking annoying it's going to be endless and what is supposed to be a decent season one where we are happy under a new era will have not that it's Kane's fault a bit of a dark cloud hanging over it and then you're going to get to December or January and he's going to be able to sign pre-contract agreements with Barcelona Real Madrid by Munich and it's going to get even worse so I'm looking at it just from the context of this next season even if he's banging in 2025 goals like I said last season proved that that's not going to make me any less miserable the team is more about the sum of its parts I think the reality is is that none of us want to see him go for obvious reasons, for obvious yeah. reasons. And it's difficult to swallow and accept that effectively the period with Kane, it hasn't been a failure because we've achieved a lot of things. But when you get gifted, arguably the best centre forward of the world, best number nine of the world of his generation alongside Benzema, Lewandowski and whoever else, and you fail to win even a Carabao Cup with it, even that would have been a disappointment relative to how good yeah. he is. It's a very difficult pill for us to swallow. But we're at the point where we've had him for eight years By modern footballing standards, that is an eternity. That is an entire era. I think we rip the Band-Aid off. And my final point for this would be after we rip the Band-Aid off is, would you rather lose the forward in year one of the project where you've got no momentum and you want your manager to start building around a squad with players he feels confident are going to be there in two, three, four years' time, or in a year's time when you've gained that momentum and then he has to go and you you kind of rip the, the heart and soul of that team out of it. There isn't that much of a good reason to want him to stay. If we get the money, whatever that fee is, I don't know, it's whatever leave he wants, then just get rid of him. As much as I don't want him to, I don't want him to go, but I want him to go. Yeah. So I'll keep so it. I'm, I'm going to interrupt you because I'm not Elio. Elio, you, you sit down for a second. I'm, I'm going to jump in. I have in one I'm more thing host. I want to say, no, and then no, I'm no. going to shut up on this. I absolutely don't I... want to draw a line under this. I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you finish. I'm going to let okay, you okay. Okay. go, Kanye West. On you. I'm going to let you finish. Um, but right, I just Kanye. want to throw in, just because it is relevant to this, we did another poll, which was just asking whether our fans would rather we sold Kane to another league for a fee of around 80 million, or to another Premier League club for say 100. 120 million 
And it was an overwhelming majority for the former. 81% would rather we sold him to another league. And I think that's tying in with exactly what you were just saying, Sars. On your points as well, I think John McKenzie actually made a similar point on Twitter that the, the only right reason, I think he said, for a Spurs fan... If you're to about to steal one of the points I'm about to make, I'm going to kill you. Well, yeah, I, might, I might be, but I, I, I make no apologies. Um, <laughs> the only right reason to want Kane to stay for another year is sentimental. And, and that's because we just want to see another year of Harry Kane and to hell with the balance sheet and to hell with the finances. It's not my money. I'm a Spurs fan. I'm not a businessman. I'm not an investor. I'm not a shareholder. I just want to see another year of Kane and that's great. But then I suppose the other argument is that Sox is is that short term even as a fan? Is that going to make the next couple of years worse mm. for us? It's difficult. I have to admit, before we started recording, and I'm being somewhat skewed by your arguments, I was still very much in the camp of, I want another year of Kane no matter what. Elio, you had so- some words. Sox mentioned short termism, and I guess the cost benefit analysis I do of that pain of potentially seeing him in another team shirt for all those years, of all that noise around is Kane going to leave our Liverpool Man United, whatever going to come in, which to me is just white noise, by the way. Like Jamie opens his mouth, and I sh myself with laughter because he's so <laughs> stupid. Like, it's one of these episodes. Oh, good. But. <laughs> but I guess talking about short-termism versus long-termism I'd say that taking the money now could be the short-term approach because taking the money now with no guarantees around it as to how the next year is going to go with this manager could end up leaving this manager having a much worse start to his Spurs career than otherwise and as we know a manager makes a bad start he very rarely gets the time especially at this club to correct that bad start Pochettino just about did thanks to a Harry Kane free kick ironically otherwise (laughs) we all know where that was going Uh, and that was 10 games in you keep Harry Kane for this year even if you're losing him for a free next season Postacoglu gets off to a good start to his Spurs career. We have a good season. Even if it's not Champions League, it's a good season. It's one that creates momentum and optimism out of the club again. And if it's done in a way that actually Harry Kane's contributed what he can guarantee without being the crux of everything we do, because Mm -hmm. we're making chances as a team, at the end of it all, far easier to replace him when we're in a good place and on an upward trajectory than right now when we've just had our worst season in God knows how long where we have faltered massively and where we are seen as a bit of a poison chalice of a club. I think any player signing for Spurs probably signs for Spurs more happily off the back of this manager's been here a year already and shown what he can do than right now with is this manager even going to be here in 10 games. Harry Kane being here for one more year in my opinion, gives us a better chance, even if he goes for free in a year, of year number two being even better than if we Mm. get rid of him now and have to do this without him for a year. So it's not just about the emotion and the sentiment for me. It's about trying to... Well, the fact is, he's a player we can't replace, as you've said. So therefore... With him right now, we have a much better chance of having a rolling start into the Postacoglu era, which hopefully lasts for a very long time, than not. Mm. Without him, I think it's far more likely that we'll be looking for a new manager by Christmas and through no fault of the manager. So there's more than just emotion in my argument. You may still disagree with everything I've just said, which I'm happy for you to do, but <laughs> I, I just time. I don't think it's as simple as rip the band-aid off now so we have a fresh slate because that fresh slate will be much harder to paint on. 
Do you think it's a factor that we've fallen so far that it's no longer a case of Harry Kane is likely the difference between top four and not top four? Because if it was the case and we could say we're probably going to get third or fourth with him and probably going to narrowly miss out without him, there's an argument purely financially to say that pays for the 90, 80 million or whatever it is, right? But because even with Harry Kane, it's looking like a long shot that we even get into the Champions League. Do you think that has an impact on the financial decision? Well, even if we qualify for the Champions League with Kane, I think we got something like 60 million for making it to the round of 16 last year. So if we lose 80 yeah. or a million, even if we get back into him, we're still at a loss for sort of 20, 30 million, if that's how you want to calculate it. And if you look at most of our Champions League appearances, a quarterfinal under Redknapp, a group stage exit under Pochettino, two round of 16s with him, one round of 16 under Mourinho, one round of 16 under Conte, and then a final. Yeah. So we, we are it's mostly around a 16. Better. So it's fair to say it's roughly 60 million. So if you're looking at it that like, okay, what is the cost? Then you're still looking at a net 30 million loss if you want to look at it that way, but it's impossible to predict. On Elio's points, it's not that I disagree with you. I still think I'm right. I'm not going to lie. But I agree with some of the points <laughs> you made on my, it's almost a slightly different conversation at that point in the sense that when you're saying that we could have a bad start without Kane and then Postacolo gets sacked. I don't disagree with you in the slightest, but then I think that's morphed into a slightly different argument because their concern there becomes, what if we have a bad start with Kane and Levy does a Levy and he does something stupid? So then it becomes more of a Levy conversation because as far as I'm concerned, this season should be a bit of a free hit where you aim for top six, but if you finish eighth, it's not a problem. So then I think we're talking about Mm. more. So, and again, I I agree with you. I can 100% see Levy doing that and that's what worries me. And that then becomes more of a Levy issue because we have a trigger-happy owner who, I mean, look, if we're going into the realm of hypotheticals, Kane breaks his ankle against Shakhtar and we're in that hypothetical situation and then Postacoglu has a bad start and then he gets sacked. But that and shouldn't then we're be happening. Sh- yeah, exactly. But that shouldn't be happening. And that, like I say, that's less of a Kane conversation and more of a bloody hell if our owner has this mindset of hiring a manager for a four-year project and is even considering sacking him within the first five to 10 games, then we have problems far bigger yeah. than even if we get 200 billion quid in for Kane. So I agree with yeah. you. It's a, just a slightly different conversation at that point, really. Judge Dave, you've been patiently listening to both sides of this, taking it all in. And I'm, I'm sure you're struggling to stay awake, but through um, <laughs> <laughs> through all of that, what are your thoughts? Because you, you are the neutral right this is where we need you you want to take emotion out of it just looking at it from a football decision a financial decision a results decision you've seen a little bit of Spurs in pre-season you've seen Richarlison step up and fill in for Kane what are your thoughts on this whole thing if you are taking all of the emotion out of it then you are living in a world that doesn't exist Um, but I think if you do take the emotion out of it then Kane should stay for another year and leave on a free why is that because for the points that Elio made, I think Elio's points are totally valid. You know, well, it gives Postacoglu the best shot of putting a good year behind him and then having a platform to move into the next, essentially, phase two of, of that project, which will be a caneless phase. But I'm currently going through a period where I am terrified that all of Leeds players won't be here by the end of the transfer window. All yeah. of the ones I like, you know, and in the past we've sold Rafinha, we've sold Calvin Phillips. I've been fortunate that Rafinha's gone to yeah. Barcelona, who I'm happy for him to go to Barcelona. And I've been fortunate that, that Calvin, fortunate for me, not so fortunate for Calvin Phillips, that apparently he ate too many ultra puddings <laughs> and, he, and he's been injured a bit. But if they both went to Manchester United and they both ripped it up, yeah. I would hate it. Absolutely hate it. And I would hate it every time it happened and yeah. it would happen all the time. I can't look past that. If I was a Spurs fan, I wouldn't be able to look past the fact that 
this is an opportunity for him to get out of the mouths of all of those people you mentioned, you know, the Rednaps, the Nevilles. Wait, so you're saying we should sell him now? I think I think okay, you should okay. sell him, yeah. But that's an emotional, from a fan's emotional perspective, right. I think you should yeah. sell him now because you don't know how bad it's going to be, but it'll be bad when he's gone. So somehow out of all this, Sox has become the emotional one and I've become the logical one. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't think anybody of us saw that. Imagine, imagine my shock. God, anything's possible now. Maybe we will get into the Champions League. Well, look, we, we could sit here and talk about Kane for another half an hour, I'm sure, but I guess it takes me quite nicely into discussing a world without Kane because we have seen in pre-season so far quite a lot of Spurs playing without Harry Kane up front and with Richarlison and it has to be said and I'm not reading too much into this we have looked better when Richarlison has come on for Kane and that might just be that Kane is doing his usual pre-season slash early season thing of taking a while to wake up but as we said in our last episode with John, on paper, Richarlison is a more archetypal and Postacoglu number nine. I'm sure he likes him a lot. He obviously wanted to see what he can do. And as we've discussed, he's a very capable Premier League proven striker who's not really been playing in the right position. What have we made of Spurs, particularly when Richarlison's been on the pitch, but just in general in pre-season? And how do you think that's going to translate into the new season when the Brentford game rolls around? You're not allowed to mention Harry Kane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, he. You're right. He has looked a better fit. I think part of that is because Kane is still in his Conte Mourinho headspace, where his instinct is to sort of drop deep. So we've yeah. seen it in the 45 minutes where he played against both teams, where instead of staying forward as a number nine and pinning the centre backs back and then giving space for the sort of two eights in Madison and the Celso to kind of have striking range or passing range from 30 yards from goal, he's dropping deep the two number eights are then up against the bank of four centre-backs that they can't get through. And then whenever he's passing to them or out wide to the full-backs or the wingers, they're looking up and the number nine they're meant to cross to is the one that just gave them the ball and is 50 yards away from the penalty area. Yeah. To be fair, that's something that can just be recoached into him because it's not as if Harry Kane wasn't a number nine that used to stay up top under Pochettino. That's exactly what he did. Mm. So it's the, the, the only reason he started going deep was by the time he got Jose in, we had war in the process and then just lost somebody like Ericsson our fullbacks weren't as dynamic as Rose and Walker and we didn't have Moussa Dembele and Deli Ali had gone to crap the only reason he did that was because there was nobody else creative in the team so it's not as if you yeah. can't coach that back into him I think the one thing Richarlison has over him is obviously his pace and his agility and so far he's using mm. that to good effect because like I say he hasn't had the coaching necessarily to do a similar thing that Kane can do but again, I think if we keep Kane, the idea that he isn't able to stay up top as a number nine in around the box, I think it's just ludicrous. He's done it more mm. years in his career than not. So I'm honestly not too concerned about that. Um, and I think in terms of the lack of agility and the lack of ability to press, which is the kind of issue with Kane, we spoke about it when we had John on a few weeks ago. If you're a talented manager and if you're a top manager, you find a way to incorporate these yeah. players. Guardiola did it with Aguero where he initially wanted him out, if you remember, and he was insistent on mm. selling him and then he ended up finding a way to adapt his system. He's adapted his system again last season to incorporate Haaland, including multiple times within that same season. So when you have a player that is of the level of Kane, then even if he doesn't fit the profile, I don't know what the answer is, but I trust Postacoglu to find it if he's here, which he shouldn't be. <laughs> I, I, I think it's just James Madison just needs to go up to Kane on the pitch and be like, mate, I've got this, okay? I can pass now. Just, I know you've got used to this rubbish, but get, get up there and I'll find you. Um, speaking of Richarlison, I think he could probably do with playing at least a yard or two deeper because he does love to stray offside, doesn't he? He's auditioning to be the long-term replacement for Jermaine Defoe as the guy who's constantly scoring offside goals. Um, he had the ball in the net five times. Dave, I know you've seen the highlights pre-season. I know there's not too much to go on, but... 
What do you make of Richarlison? And do you think he's good enough to be our main guy next year if Kane does leave? Well, based on those highlights, he looked pretty sharp, I thought. I mean, you know, obviously the couple of goals that were offside is, well, I guess it's something something new, isn't yeah. it? Running that end line and doing your best to stay onside and mm. sneak those goals. But I think he's proven that he's a very, very capable centre-forward in the Premier League, Everton. And you shouldn't be worried that he would be your starting number nine if Ken isn't at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I think he would easily, if he stays fit, he could easily get twenty goals if he if he plays up front uh, for a whole easily season. twenty goals. You think? Yeah, it's a big call. easily. I think. Well, let's say fifteen because his best <laughs> in the Premier League is thirteen. But uh, I take your point. So Thanks I guess, everything. Dave, if you're sort of our fan advisory board at Spurs, the sort of <laughs> if you're our fan advisory board and you have some kind of pull in the chat with Levy and Postacoglu, Kane does get sold. It's an amount of money that makes sense whatever it is yeah are you spreading that money elsewhere in the team and installing richarlison as number nine or are you or are you going out and getting an even tony ollie williams a, a replacement off the back of a good season and did Elio just don't just mis- misname two strikers consecutively i think ollie did. watkins and <laughs> even tony i think you called him ollie williams and I, and I think it's ivan tony we're coming back to your david pleatisms again elio sorry i stopped you in your stride go on that was that was a cheap shot and, and i apologize i think the edit is going to make you look a moron um <laughs> yeah, I control the edit depends who's editing I, it i think remember who's editing <laughs> Um, that, I was actually going to say that's a really good question. Genuinely, are you are you actually important. going and getting someone to do that and continue using Richardson as we have done, or at least going with a well, you've got competition up front angle, or are you just saying to Richardson, "You're my main man now," and spread the wealth elsewhere? Um, yeah, it is a good question. I think you would spread it, and I think you wouldn't necessarily look at the tried and tested Premier League strikers mm-hmm. that you could get like Tony and like Watkins, but maybe you'd potentially look at the rung underneath that. Although that said, you know, scum have completely distorted this transfer market again, haven't they, by signing yeah. a, a 22-year-old who's done almost nothing for 85 mm-hmm. million euros. But I would think you, you should be looking at something, not something like that, because that's ridiculous. But, you know, 22, 23-year-old, someone who's who's got bags of potential maybe hasn't had a lot of exposure at the, mm. at, at the highest level but it is that potential that you could then say right okay he's not going to be immediate competition to Richarlison but he is going to learn a lot off Richarlison and he's going to be an absolutely perfectly acceptable alternative to come off the bench 20 times in a season in the Premier League and to and to play in some of the cup games and I think if you do that then that allows you to also spend elsewhere that said, I'm not convinced that 85 million euros or 90, 90 million euros, whatever it's going to be, I don't think that changes your transfer strategy at all. I think you should do that anyway. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it kind of solves that problem because he can't play until, is it January? Is that when his ban is over? I don't know if there's anything in there. I don't know if he would even come to us. But for argument's sake, that gives Richarlison an audition window, doesn't it? And say, hey, look, you've got this guy coming in. You better show us what you can do. Otherwise, you're going to be a backup. I don't know if we want to experiment on that sort of level with our season. But I think he's good enough to at least go in on that basis, personally. The other one that's been doing the rounds and, and is a rumoured signing is Randall Kolomuani, who I must admit, I know stole 
Foley as the guy who bottled the World Cup final in the dying seconds with that <laughs> ridiculous save from Emmy Martinez. And I'd never heard of him before and not seen much of him since. Does anyone know much about, about him? And do we know if he is a likely suitable replacement for Kane if such thing exists? Is he a good kind of Ange Postacoglu striker? I know a lot of Spurs fans on Twitter are suddenly absolute experts <laughs> on young French strikers playing for middling German teams and are raving about him. But beyond that, yeah. like you, I know him for bottling the World Cup final. Well, that's a bit harsh. <laughs> He's um, perfect for us. <laughs> He bottles finals. Um, well, I personally, the, the YouTube compilation has been replaced in my mind by FBref as my go-to source of assessing a player I've never heard of. And according to the stats that I've just looked up now, percentiles for progressive carries, 93rd, successful take-ons, 95th, touches and tackling penalty box, 87th, assists, 97th percentile. So, no, he, he can take the ball, he can dribble it, he can score and assist. So I like what I see based on three seconds of very rudimentary. He's a big, strong player from the very little I read about him. That gives me a bit more peace about it. Obviously, large Frenchmen have tended to do well up front in the Premier League. The fact that he's played nine times for France already is obviously a good endorsement for him as well, albeit without being a prolific scorer. I guess for me in the Premier League, unless you have a forward who can do a bit of bruising up front, you have to play almost perfect football in the build-up. The Premier League is different to any other league in that respect. Only Manchester City can get away without actually having someone who can be a bit rough and ready up front. And even they went and bought Erling Haaland. So I hope that... If it's him or anybody else, it's somebody who can give us the physical aspect that we will need if Kane leaves. That's one thing Richarlison definitely does have in his favour. I'm just still laughing at that line. Large Frenchmen have tended to do well in the Premier League. I love the idea of the recruitment team sitting around and be like, hmm, he's French, yeah. And he's quite big as well. Yeah, that's enough. Good. Sign him. Excellent. <laughs> Moving on. Um, no, that's a good point. But I, I, I want to talk about the rest of the team because obviously we've, we've talked about Kane. We talked about Richarlison. You mentioned a couple of players in the intro earlier that were standing out so I want to just talk about the preseason so far and who's looked good and who we think is actually going to potentially break into the first team when the season rolls around Sox you, you watched the West Ham game yeah 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 so uh, I think that the consensus from what I've seen I must admit I didn't actually watch it I've watched highlights I watched the Lion City Sailors game I didn't catch the West Ham game but the the consensus overwhelmingly seemed to be wow I'm really enjoying watching us lose and it seemed to be like we the Antoscoglu coached a win we were definitely the better team we played a lot of passes we we played 685 passes 73% possession 16 corners it was an absolute domination in everything but score hopefully that was a just a bit of bad luck in that regard but what do you make of that performance and was it surprising for you yeah Elio said it before we went live and it was attack good defense bad yeah. so in a bizarre way it's not anything that we haven't really been saying about the club in the past few years but the way that we got to the attack and scored the goals was far more entertaining than anything we've done in the past four or five years and that kind of just about sums it up it was yeah. impressive to me you you never read too much into preseason and it's important never to overreact either way but that West Ham game in particular I think was about seven days worth of work or seven sessions spread across seven days anyway bearing in mind the internationals came back to preseason a bit later than everybody else and that's about half our squads so if you're starting to see basic principles and patterns of play even against kind of non-opposition if you want to call it that given it's it's preseason then it does bode well at the same time, I'm expecting this to be a bit of a bumpy season, even if we get the centre-backs in, just because if you look at the team that we have at the moment, 
everybody is brand new. Like the defense could be completely brand new. The goalkeeper, the left back, at least one of the center backs. If Poro's starting a right back, he's only been here five minutes. Madison is brand new. Basuma may as well be because he barely played last season. Lacelso may as well be if he's saying. If Rashal isn't the number nine, he may as well be. So all the positive signs of preseason, I'm trying to kind of calm myself, sort of be more on the cautiously optimistic because we speak a lot about how mm. familiarity is kind of one of the most important things in football. And Postacoglu said it himself after the West Ham game. He's like, some of these players don't exactly know where they're supposed to be standing yet. They don't know how they're supposed to be pressing. They don't know what the trigger is. And if you think especially of the players that have been here, they've been so coached in a very specific way that you almost have to unlearn everything that we mentioned just before about Kane having the instinct to drop deep now. If he stays, then he's going to have to go through a process of unlearning that and then relearning the new thing. So you've got several players that are still trying to do the things that have been coached into them by Conte or Jose. So even though the early signs against West Ham were were promising and honestly it was enjoyable I think it's such a low bar after what we've had to suffer for a few years yeah. I, I was speaking to my brother about it and, and he messaged me watching the game and he said I've cared more about this than I did almost any game last season and that was a sentiment <laughs> that I saw completely yeah. honestly not even as a joke completely unironically shared by a lot of fans online which I think is probably more of a damning indictment of the season's gone by than anything else but mm. no it looks good it looks good. It wouldn't surprise me if we lose our first few games. I will say that. I'm, that's not be me being like a Debbie Downer, but you can see fragilities that exist. And like I say, this will take time. And all I'm thinking about now is Elio has planted that seed in my head about Postecoglou being sacked within 10 games. He said it and then I put myself on mute and I've just been sat in silence for 15 minutes trying to work out the Stop permutations me. in my head and whether that's an inevitability or not. And I'm just going to, that's my Sunday completely ruined mm. now. But, um, but no, I at least I enjoyed that preseason game. Yeah, and I don't know if we're going to get us out in 10 games, but I think we have to prepare ourselves for conceding a lot of goals. And I think even in the Lion City Sailors game, that first goal was a little bit sloppy, you know, whether you're going to blame it on the keeper or on Poro. But I think we have to accept we're not going to be winning games with clean sheets very regularly for the first few games. We're going to have to try and score more than them for the, for the foreseeable future. I think a few more three twos, four threes might be on the horizon. Mm. Um, I like this tweet from Not That Milo. I'm not sure this is for me. Why aren't we camped out on the edge of our area soaking up pressure? <laughs> Which is good. But yeah, taking it on to the Lions City Sailors game, obviously more of the same. Okay, we can say what we want about the opposition, but for whatever it's worth, 80% possession, 712 passes, 18 corners, five goals. I mean, if nothing else, we are going to take a lot of shots and we're going to try and score a lot of goals. Whether it comes through is another matter. Elio, you mentioned a couple of players in the intro there, so I want to just throw some names out because we've, we've seen pretty much everyone now, more or less, mm. and we've probably seen a little bit more of some players than perhaps we, we'd expected. Talk to me about Lo Celso, because... I know he's a player that you'd, I don't want to say you've written him off. I know you'd always seen his ability, but I think there was a point, it's fair to say, in recent history where you thought that's probably him done at Spurs. Do you think there could be a renaissance on the cards here for him? Could he potentially work his way into the first team? I'd love that, mainly because I'm one of the mugs that was getting very overexcited about his signing <laughs> far more than I was about Ndombele at the time because I'd actually watched a fair bit of him when he came and yeah. the insipid two and a half years he gave us before his first loan away made me look very very silly not quite as silly as my Jack Clark hopes but uh, <laughs> not brilliant so I hope we do see a renaissance but not just for for the sake of my own sort of hubris more to the point a La Celso that is the La Celso we thought we were getting a La Celso that is the player Lionel Messi picks to play with him in the Argentina side because we know Lionel Messi he picks the, the Argentina yep. side is a brilliant player 
And we've had so little of that since he came. We had about two months of that, basically, under Mourinho when he was playing in a double pivot with Harry Winks, who actually also looked the best he ever has at that point uh, mm. as well. And there was a player there. What's happened since is someone who you just wonder if he can handle the rigours of the Premier League. What I'd say to that is, and Sox and I have spoken about this a few times, almost any footballer signed for this club since the Champions League final almost has to get a bit of open minds at this point because they either signed just before COVID, during COVID, or after COVID. They, at most any given player, will have had one year with any single manager we've had in that time because no one's lasted longer than that. I think Mm. Conte was 11 months, Jose was 11 and a half, something like that. And and they're such different managers, crucially, as well. That's the thing. We're seeing a different side of them under Postacoglu. Yeah, we do have to be open-minded about the players that we may have previously written off um, because hopefully a new system, new manager, someone who's actually going to have us keeping the ball as opposed to surrendering the ball constantly will give these guys more of a platform. The fear is that that comes along, we end up thinking, okay, reprieve for the Celso and Dombele, and then they still flatter to deceive because maybe they're just not suited to this league. That is also realistic because you then say, well, Son, Harry Kane, they've managed to look good under every single manager, so mm. why can't these guys? But no, Lo Celso is a player that I think has a lot to give if he hits his potential. It's a big if because... Yeah. Other factors, he may just not want to be in this country. I don't even know if he's learnt English yet or not because I don't think I've ever heard him speak. Um, well, on that point, uh, Alistair Golden's latest video was saying that apparently, <laughs> Sox is nodding his head, you were going to say the same thing, weren't you? Apparently, he's really happy. All the reports are that he's really loving it at the moment and he's showing the right attitude, eager to please, and he seems like he's in the best spirits he's been in for a while. So, you know, hopefully that is reflective of his mental state at the moment and he wants to be exposed. What I would say, important thing to take into account with him and Don. Regulon, potentially Sassignon as well. All of them are now in the last two years of their contracts. Mm. So even if La Salsa has a very, very good year, the sort of year that would ordinarily make him a 65, 70 million pound, 27 year old next summer, he'll then only have one year left. So we'd probably get as much of this guy now as we will next summer, regardless. Then you think, and I guess this is almost linking back and going full circle to the old Harry Kane discussion just a year earlier now. Yeah, how likely is this guy to re-sign? And if he does do well, is then that going to just be a player we're going to have to be creative to replace in a year's time versus cut the cloth now? He's come off a good loan spell. There are managers that would love to have him in their team, both in Spain and Emery over here for Aston Villa, as I understand it. Maybe we should not fall into the trap of getting sucked into this guy could be the key when he hasn't for four years already. And Mm. it's just a really nuanced argument that you end up having with yourself because the football heart and the romantic says the Celso completes his redemption arc, comes back, absolutely nails it for us. And the future's all rosy, signs a new five-year deal and brings back the spirit of Aussie Ardilas and Ricky Villa by scoring an <laughs> FA Cup final winning goal. Um, but the reality of Hang it on one is... Second. I'm, I'm opening up William Hill. Give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But the reality of it is we probably have to treat that situation just as unemotionally as we have to treat the Harry Kane situation, the Son situation as he's getting older, the way we've just treated the Larish situation and think... 
what's going to long term be the best thing we can do, even if there's pain to endure now. And, yeah. uh, and that's something that only the people in the club, his agent, he will have any clue about at this moment. So, so mm. hopefully my pessimism is misplaced and it all goes rosy, but we'd also love Deli Ali to come back and be the hero we all need. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. You started off so positive there, Elio, and then you talked yourself out of there. <laughs> By the end of it, you were like giving yourself so many doubts. I'm um, spending you, too much time with my cousin. <laughs> really, yeah. I mean, well, I'm going to come to him now. I mean, you mentioned Regulon there, who I actually think has looked quite bright. And I was surprised to see him start the first game, but he's looked quite good. He's linking up quite well with Perisic and Lo on that side of the midfield as well, with little triangles. Um, but I want to talk about the other left fullback or wingback in Destiny Udoji, who, or Udogi, who I was really impressed with, with the short amount of time I saw from him so what do you think of destiny so far because um i think a lot of people were expecting him to be a backup to be a rotation option to be a young up-and-coming squad player but i think there's an outside shot he could be our starting left back i think he abs- i think what he will think? be our starting left back next season yeah for sure i mean i think we all had some mm. concerns because we obviously signed him as a wing back which is kind of what he traditionally has been to play for conte obviously we signed him last summer and so yeah. even his agent was coming out and saying that he wanted to speak to the manager to understand what his position would be this year but he really has stood out obviously we're basing this off of 90 minutes including uh 45 of that yeah. against the lion yeah. city sailors with all due respect to them but it's consistent with what we've seen from him in previous pretty season, much right? it's, it's what we expect i mean it's his, the thing that stood out to me the most is his physicality and i don't know if that's just out of ignorance but i, I didn't mm. realize how big of a lad he was he's a big guy he's quick and he's strong it's, it's similar to what elliot was yeah. saying about colo moani big and french okay he's big and italian but it's it's the it's the pace and the power and i know that's a bit you know Brexit means Brexit type of analysis of the Premier League where it's stronger and tougher. And I think some of that is maybe a bit of an antiquated kind of almost ignorant way of looking at football. Like we think our league is so much better than everybody else's and all these other leagues are dirt. That's not the case at all. Syria is incredibly yeah. competitive, but that physicality does give me a lot of reason for optimism. And he has looked really bright. Obviously, he is having to play as a left back in a back four now. But he seems capable of... Yeah. Which he has done for Italy under 21, I done. believe. So he's got well, I was reading about him that. a bit at uh, his yeah. time at Udinese last season. He also played a bit of as a, a left central midfielder at times for them. So in other words, a bit of that inverted left-back yes. role. So I think that's why he'll start. I think he's probably the best fullback we have kind of across the board, which is a bizarre thing to say, given I've seen 90 minutes of him in preseason. We've got eight fullbacks and he's sort of the best one potentially on paper. Either I'm being a little bit hyperbolic or we just don't have very many good fullbacks, not for the system we want to play anyway. But I <laughs> yeah. agree in that, yeah, him, Lo Celso, I think Solomon is another one that's really, really stood out in preseason. Richarlison, so... He's been a lot of bright sparks. Yeah, really, really bright. Probably looks better than Kulusevsky on what we've seen so far, but obviously form is temporary, class is permanent and all of that. Um, I disagree with that. I think Kulusevsky in the last game especially looked so, so dangerous. I mean, somewhat of his final ball's a bit off at the moment. It's it's pre-season. Harry Kane's skying shots right now as well. Kulusevsky, some of his touches and digression at which he's attacking, I'm very excited about getting the Kulusevsky from the season before last. Okay, fair enough. I I think I'm just comparing Comparing him to that season, and that's why maybe I'm, I'm being a bit harsh on him there. But no, I, I take your point. Um, on the fullbacks, actually, one interesting thing I noticed with um, when Udoji was on the pitch um, with Poro, it was almost that kind of alternating one inverting, one going on the outside and overlapping. And in that case, it was Udo. How do you say his name? Is it Udogi or Udoji? 
Does anyone know? I don't know, David I... Pleat. I guess you I... tell me. <laughs> yeah. Go At, on. Least recog- At least I'm recognizing <laughs> that I don't know how to say his name. Um, Morricone. Anyway, moving on. Um, so Yudoji, uh, as I'm going to pronounce it here, he was on the pitch cutting in and being the more inversive one. And, and as you say, so I was pretty much playing like a midfielder at times and, and getting involved in central channels with Poro on the other side. And then when they switched up at half time, it was almost the inverse with um, Emerson playing as an inverted. Emerson was almost like a midfielder, which was interesting. We'd not seen that before. With Regulon as the one going on the outside. Is that a theme you think we're going to see in the season going forward with sort of one fullback dictating who the other one is, depending on how capable they are of playing as an inverted and playing on the outside? Yes. Yeah, so the problem is, is that we have we have amassed so many fullbacks for so many... Uh, Emerson was signed for Nuno, Spence was signed for Nobody, Porro was signed for Conte, Sessegnon was signed for Pochettino, Davis has been here I think longest than since than I've been on earth, I think I don't even know, I think coming up to testimonial territory for him. So it will be this season a case of Postacoglu just doing what's best for the balance of the team and based on who has the skill set. Mm. I'm not convinced any of the right backs yeah. are particularly perfect to do the inverted role. It's not just about being technically good you need a specific skill set you need to have the right balance Poro is a winger that was already pushed back to be a wing back and I have questions of him as a wing back just because just because you're a wing back doesn't mean you can't defend or shouldn't be able to defend so I do have mm. some question marks about him so I do I am worried about that right hand side uh, the irony is if you fuse all these yeah. four backs together that we basically got Cafu somewhere between <laughs> Spence Emerson and Poro is the greatest right back this side of like Danny yeah. Alves so uh, I, I think that's going to be a I don't know about a weak spot, but if you are an opposition team and you're seeing Pedro Porro start for Tottenham on that right-hand side, again, this is a bit Brexit means Brexit reductive tactical analysis, but you're going to them, okay, attack down that right-hand side. So we'll see how it shakes out. I think we're all pretty confident that Udogi will be the starting left-back. I'm mm-hmm. not sure any of us can say with the same degree of confidence who will be the starting right-back and how that will actually manifest itself in terms of what they're being asked to do. So I think the slight mitigation to that will be the fact that we'll hopefully be possession hungry. That seems to be what the manager wants. And most teams will have fewer opportunities to attack. And when they do get the ball off us, they'll be all out of shape and therefore won't be able to exploit frailties like that constantly from time to time yes but not constantly Um, i I agree with you completely that poro's ability in that direction is a bit scary he's also a young Mm. player with time to develop as we know danny rose at that age was uh not the danny rose of two years later either so i have faith in fullbacks is are one of those positions where they do get better and better defensively as as they get older i think most players Mm. are actually taking longer to develop into their best version of themselves than they used to just because of how much more complex football has become tactically since the Pep and Mourinho introduction to management. Yeah, exactly. Remember Carl Carl Walker, he might actually be the best version of himself he's ever been now and he's Mm. well into his 30s. So so we'll see. I think... Udogi, I think, will be our starting left back. I think we can absolutely guarantee Ben Davies is going to be at the club because he's one of the few leaders in the dressing room, very much reaffirmed for anyone who watched the Deli Alley documentary the other day. Mm. He's also someone who, whether you like it or not, there's a place for the dependable player. And yeah. so, as well as, for instance, Reggie did the other day. I, well, he can play a centre-back. And he's covered centre-back as well. But, well, as he yeah. did the other day, I think Reggie will be sacrificed. The homegrown situation is another thing to think about in all this as well. These days, because of a slight tweak to the rules, Davies counts for both UEFA and Premier League purposes. Obviously, Reguilon won't. So, 
I think on balance, we're likely to see regular move on. I've seen a link to Sociedad potentially for 11 million or something like that. So that all seems very, very likely. On the other side, Emerson was signed as a defensive right back. Spence was signed as a wing back. Poro was signed as a wing back. So yeah, none of them seemed the perfect fit, but they're all... They're all, I think, under 24 mm. still. Obviously, Spencer's, and I think Poro and Emerson are too. So it may be a case of having to wait for them to be the right fit through match day experience in this system rather than hoping mm. they're the right fit from the off. And I'm okay with that. We've signed, in essence, a project manager, in his own words, someone who comes in to, to deal with a situation that needs fixing. Um, yeah. Obviously, that's not verbatim. So part of that is seeing how he can develop someone who's not right yet into someone who is. And we've got to have faith in him to do that, the same way we saw Pochettino turn Moussa Dembele into a slightly frustrating attacking midfielder to the best central midfielder in the country. And in the same way we saw Rose and Walker do what they did, in the same way even someone like Jan Vertonghen actually went from being lovely on the ball, but slightly flimsy off it, let's say, as a Mm. centre-back, to being a guy with one of the highest headers one percentages in Europe when he was at his best for us. So I, I I really don't mind that they're not the right fit yet. We have bigger priorities elsewhere, as we know, and I see enough in all of them to think that our manager, if he's as good as we want him to be, will be able to get at least one of them up to scratch, if not a couple of them. A couple of points. First of all, Destiny has said that his surname is pronounced Oodoggy. So you did get it wrong. Well, I I, I said both, so I I guess I technically got it right and wrong. Um, I covered myself. That is according to Alistair Gold. Yeah, apparently it's pronounced Oodoggy, so let's all remember that. Secondly, I'm very relieved for one that Ange has deemed even Perisic to be a winger and not yeah. a left back. I think that would be good. And he's looked good, by the way. There. He has, and he's in his position and he's done well. All of a sudden you're saying for the flanks you've got Son, Solomon, yeah. Kulusevski and Perisic and it's sounding really bloody strong. Yeah. Whereas three weeks ago it was like, if Kulusevski or Son's out at any given time, we're screwed. No, uh, I'm yeah. all for the Perisic redemption arc too. Yeah, exactly. He's got something to offer. Um, <laughs> I'll bring back Sol Campbell. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> God. Too far. God, just, some things you just don't joke about. Yeah, come on. Um, we're running a little bit long, so I, I want to kind of uh, quick fire on a few other players we haven't mentioned. One, one guy I think does deserve a little bit of credit is Basuma, who I think almost like Lasalso, he wasn't on loan last season, but it almost feels like he was because he was injured and he never really got the run he wanted. And when we did see him, he wasn't quite up to speed. But from what I've seen so far, him playing in that six role, dictating play, but also being a good defensive presence, I've been really impressed. What, what have you guys thought of Basuma so far? And do you think he's going to be a starter against Brentford? Yeah. I mean, yes. Basuma was a brilliant signing, right? and he got. Yeah. I think he caught COVID last preseason, which meant he wasn't able to go out when we flew away to Korea. And then he picked up a niggle in preseason, which meant that he missed the first handful of games. And then even if he was fit, Conte didn't pick him, and then he got another injury. The whole season was a writer for him, and I think people are completely forgetting how good he was at Brighton and how much of a monumental like. I don't want to spoil the preseason prediction podcast for what will inevitably do next week, but it would not shock me in the slightest yeah. if Basuma is our player of the season. That will be my prediction as of now, effectively. Wow. But because we've, we've, we've signed one of the best midfielders in the Premier League and is now going to be able to work under a manager that is basically perfect for his style of play. I think just because he was out injured for the year doesn't mean that he's randomly gotten crap 
It's not as if he was out injured with a, a broken leg or an ACL and he's never going to be the same player again. I think you saw a lot of our players, ones that we know have been good for... Ooh, ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the match, that's the match of the day theme song being played on an ice cream van outside Can you my grab flat. flat. Here right now. Uh, yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> he's... Uh, oh, I got distracted. Uh, yeah, he's... He's one of the most obviously good <laughs> signings that we've made, yeah. and I think he's kind of got under the radar, probably more so with kind of opposition fans. But I've got no qualms with him. To a similar extent, it's kind of what we were discussing with Richarlison. I don't know if he was a 50 or 60 million pound player, but there is a good player in there. And I think people will often overreact. Not massively understand, uh, not understandably. I mean, when you spend X amount on a player and he scores like one league goal or whatever it was, I think you're justified in your criticism of him. But if you look at, the credit in the bank that these players have over four or five years as opposed to the last 12 months, it will not shock me if both of them, Basuma in particular, are really, really good for us next year. Yeah. Room for optimism, a fable about a young man with big dreams who came over from the East. Roman Pavlyuchenko. (laughs) He signed for Spurs and across his first two Premier League seasons scored 10 goals. But then, aided by the magical Harry Redknapp in his third season... He scored 10 goals alone that year, propelling us into the Champions League. <laughs> Everyone remembers Peter Crouch. Propelling. Who scored, I think, five that season for the one he got against Manchester City. But it was Roman Pavlyuchenko who gave us our dreams. Never forget that. I would urge anyone to look up on YouTube a video of all of Pavlyuchenko's goals for Spurs. And you'd be mistaken for thinking that we'd signed Cristiano Ronaldo. Sorry. The, the, <laughs> like, honestly, his highlight reel was amazing. The, the player that led us to our dreams, that the biggest ringing endorsement you can think of him is that he scored 10 goals <laughs> in the Premier League for a side that finished fourth. <laughs> this is our grounds for optimism. A dream, a dream, guys. It was a dark time. <laughs> you were hammering Richarlison for his 15 goals as his best season. Uh, well, first his, goal, his big blank smile and blonde hair lit up my dreams <laughs> wow well thank you for that that was a beautiful Elio Dave you've been quietly sitting there listening to us wax lyrical about players that you have only taken at best a peripheral interest to over the last <laughs> couple of weeks I'm going to ask you a more general question because obviously you've seen a little bit of the style that the Spurs are going to bring do you think we are going to win when we play Brentford on the opening day of the season based on what you have seen and based on what you know about the two squads and the two clubs you're at Brentford right yeah then you're not going to win opening day um but i think more important is the is the performance and what you look like and i think and i think if if it all goes to plan and you get a positive result which might not be a win but it it might not be a defeat then you've got something to start with and something to build from and i think i honestly think you guys are going to be fine this season i don't think you're going to get in top four but that's because i think there's probably about seven or eight teams that could get in the top four don't want to say it before the preseason predictions but yeah i think you'll be fine well, we've still got a couple of games. We've still got two more games. Unfortunately, your so your game in seven days and 40 minutes is at the exact same kickoff time as our first game of the season. So I won't be watching it. Oh, really? Oh, no, you won't. Oh, God, this is a disaster all over, isn't it? Um, anyway, was, it, was there anything else we wanted to go over at all? Anything we might have missed? Any players that we, we didn't give enough credit to? Well, given that I failed so miserably a moment ago, I've asked ChatGPT <laughs> to write a limerick capturing Roman Pavlyuchenko's time as a Spurs player. Would you like to hear it? 100% yes. Do we have a choice? (laughs) There once was a striker named Roman, whose time at Spurs was quite uncommon. With his deadly left boot, he'd often shoot, but inconsistency became his main problem. (laughs) In his early days, he showed great skill, scoring goals with a powerful thrill. His debut was grand with a hat-trick in hand, but soon his form began to chill. I don't remember this hat-trick. Pavlyuchenko had moments (laughs) of glory, but his lack of consistency told the story. 
He'd score a stunning brace, then disappear without a trace, leaving fans frustrated and weary. His time at Spurs was filled with frustration, a mix of promise and disappointment sensation. Though he had his moments, his inconsistency opponents, and his impact on the team was a fluctuation. In the end, Pavlyuchenko moved on, leaving behind a legacy somewhat gone. His time at Spurs was bittersweet, with flashes of brilliance hard to beat, but ultimately, his inconsistency lingered on. <laughs> I, that was not on the agenda of this episode. Well, I don't think anyone expected a limerick about Pavlyuchenko, but that was Tottenham-related chat GPT limericks is definitely a new segment. If you'd like us to do an entire episode <laughs> purely based on that kind of content, then I'm okay with it. I mean, it takes a lot less effort than actually, you know, <laughs> watching the games and researching facts. So I'm all for it, if anyone wants to hear more of that. But on that note, no, nothing else to say. Excited for the new season. No. Harry Kane should stay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the, the only other thing we haven't talked about, and I'm conscious it's obviously quite a heavy thing and, and it happened a couple of weeks ago and it's been talked about a lot, but I think it's, it's only fair to actually touch on it and mention it is the Deli Alley interview that I think everyone's seen now with Gary Neville on the overlap, which um, I think we won't get into it in too much detail, as like I say, but it's worth mentioning that obviously it was a really difficult watch and I think it, it explains quite a lot and it, it definitely makes me see the downfall of Delhi at Spurs in a different light. And I think the other thing is we have a lot of fun on the podcast and we, you know, we, we take the piss out of players and we, we criticize people, but I think it, it ties in with the whole Sanchez booing thing that we had before. It's just another timely reminder that footballers are human beings right and that we should try and be nice to them where we can and i'm not aiming that at any particular people on this podcast at all socks i know you watched the, the delhi video it's, it was a tough it was a tough watch wasn't it yeah it was i mean there were loads of people speculating throughout his time at tottenham you know rumors and whispers of things that had gone on and you know he had obviously come up publicly and had the name ali dropped because we knew he'd had a poor relationship with his dad without yeah. anybody knowing the full extent of it. And you're never going to, you can speculate as much as you want, but you're never going to be able to go, ah, oh, well, when he was six, he got molested. And then when he was this age, he was dealing drugs. And when he was this age, he was smoking. And yeah, yeah I mean, it's uh, the, the issue of, um, or the conversation about criticizing players is a, is a difficult one because are we supposed to, on one hand, not criticize someone when they have a bad performance? Mm -hmm. Obviously not. But at the same time, sometimes it just takes... It's the quote of... I'm going to quote, I think it's Men in Black. And it's like, a, a person is smart, but people <laughs> are stupid. But the point there being, on an individual level, I think there are enough of us who understand where we've crossed the line in, in... Like, it's just football. And as much as we care about it and we're passionate about it, and it's an important yeah. thing in all of our lives, it still is just football. But I think, especially with the advent of social media... How many times do we see a player have a bad performance and there are a bunch of N-words and monkey emojis and people telling them to go off and kill themselves? And there are some people who will be able to mm. rightly or wrongly brush that off and that there are others that will take it massively to heart as well. So it's something that unfortunately I don't necessarily see changing. It, it will be, there will be something bad that happens because it, it's a problem that's bigger than football. You see this happen with like celebrities, like Caroline Flack will take her own life and you'll have people for 48 yeah. hours on social media, hashtagging be kind. And then the next thing, something happens with another person the pylon will happen yeah, and, and, and round around in circles that we go. I think the only thing we can do as individuals is be conscious of the things that we are saying and at least take responsibility for ourselves. Like you said, I don't think we've necessarily gone too overboard. A few Elio comments on Joey Barton aside, but it, all of them are in, are in good jest <laughs> that they are there. You know, no, in all it, seriousness, the context is important. We know where the line exactly. is. And I think that's not that any of these players are going to hear what we're saying, yeah. but it's besides oh, I mean, I was just point. making, I was just making a dumb joke, like the context, the context of it and the way you say something, 
something is yeah. almost as important as how you say it. So on Delhi specifically, I mean, it's a shame yeah. that he was forced to do the interview because, as he said, the I don't know what papers, but I could I could take a pretty good stab in the dark of what papers were about to out him. <laughs> so it, it's a shame that he was forced to kind of come out with it earlier than he was maybe comfortable doing. But at the same time, I'm incredibly excited for him. Like, I hope he has a really bloody good season at Everton, even if that leads him off to another club and he's reunited with Pochettino at Chelsea. I kind of don't care. Like, I really want him to to make it. He's only, what, 27? Yeah. The guy's got half a career left in him. Like, the guy has five years at least at the top level if he really wants. So, irrespective of where he comes yeah. back to Tottenham, I hope that, you know, with these demons not fully exercised, perhaps, he is in a good enough place to, to be at a good club under a good manager and do well for himself. So Absolutely. Hey, bring Delhi home, second coming. What do you think, Elio? Would you love anything more? I think, well, if Delhi could come home and be the Delhi we knew and loved, obviously not right now. Bring Delhi home as an ambassador for the club at such point that he stops playing football. Take care sure. of the guy the way we have with people like Ledley King in the last few years. But I think it's almost callous to even talk about his redemption being via football. If the guy wants to just retire right now and focus on something that makes him happy, he should do that. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I don't see Delhi reviving his career as a footballer as much as we'd all love to see it as any kind of indication that he's happy or doing well again. I see mm. Delhi being happy as an indication of him being over this. So yeah, I'd love to see him be the Delhi we saw as a great footballer, but I think the big point and the big takeaway from all of this is actually that's not important in the slightest. Yeah. What's important is that a kid's who spiraled is piecing himself back together again. And it doesn't matter what it looks like at the other end, as long as it's a healthy, safe human being. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can all agree with that. And obviously goes without saying, we wish Delhi the very best with whatever he does next and, and with the rest of his career. And yeah, if that involves coming back to Spurs and picking up where he left off, then let's, let's watch the space. But no, uh, I think very impressed and proud of him for coming out and doing the interview in the first place. I think Neville handled it well. And let's hope that it's the start of things turning around properly for him. Right. Well, I, I wanted to talk about that because obviously, you know, it, it is an important thing. And Delhi is a player that we all love. I didn't want to necessarily end on such a kind of heavy, serious tone, but I thought it was something that we should at least talk about but just before we go let's just try and based on what we've seen so far if we were picking the lineup for tomorrow let's say Brentford was in, in a couple of days and it was the first day of the season what's our team right now who would you put in based on what you've seen so far Vicario centre-backs Vicario Udogi um, socks stop me at any point if you disagree with anything but Vicario Udogi Poro Romero Ben Davies as the left centre-back for me as they yeah. stand right now. Midfield okay. of Basuma, Madison and either Lacelso or Hoybier, either or. I think probably still Hoybier, um, just hmm. about just because we're playing against a good side that will want to be able to get the ball off and have a bit of a fight with. And then up front, Kane's still here. So Kane, Son and Kulisevsky. Sox, any disagreements Other with that? Other than maybe LaSalle in for Hoiberg, but I understand the rationale behind yeah. it. But I think that is the team. And again, as you go through it, not to start another thread of conversation, but you get to the centre-backs and it's just like, uh, like that's probably the most telling thing because <laughs> you can swap out some of the other players and whether you want LaSalle or Hoiberg in there, people might be happy either way. And whether you want Richarlison or Kane in there, it's fine. Solomon, Kulisevsky, exactly. Richarlison, Kane. It's the fact that you lose Romero and then it's still Dyer, Sanchez, Tanganga. So if we are doing this in yeah. a week from now and it's still the same predicted lineup at the back, then not alarm bells ringing, but it will be annoying to say the least. We've been trying to sort this since last summer. We've got eight yeah. fullbacks and not a single left centre-back. So, you know. 
Let's see what changes. I don't think there's been any change on the centre-back front, as far as I'm aware. I, I left it out of the agenda for a reason, because there's nothing to discuss. It's the same old recycled tweet from Romano every few days, saying Spurs are pushing for Van de Ven and Tavsova with, uh, with nothing to... Well, yeah, every few hours with, uh, with nothing to go for it. But we'll see. We'll, we'll have another episode before the start of the season no doubt we'll be reviewing the next couple of friendlies and of course seeing how the next game might go i hope you've enjoyed this episode it's been a little while for us so sorry if we were a little bit rusty i know you weren't expecting a limerick about pavlyuchenko or a quote from men in black but that is just the unexpected joys of the plus day podcast so hopefully you will join us all for the next one where we will be very excitedly looking ahead to the start of the real season and our opener against brentford so uh, hopefully all of you can join us for that that one but until then stay classy Spurs fans and we'll see you next week this episode was filmed in front of a live audience of Dave Jameson (laughs) (laughs) great chat guys (laughs) 